This week on the 10-8 Podcast, The Hero's Journey, with Frank from Reps for Responders. Doing peer support before I even knew what it was, was if something was bothering me, I had some co-workers I could call. The change from now, 2023 to 2015, just completely different. I went from a solid 180, 185 to 165. Uh, I started hanging out with Jack and Jose a lot, so Jose Cuervo and Jack Daniels. I just remember thinking, like, I can't tell anyone about this, like, I'm a cop. Like, if I hand in my gun shield or if I tell anybody about this, like, I'm done. I remember the day, Charlie, where one day I just woke up and I just couldn't feel anything anymore. Your ego got the best of you. He really didn't do this for you. destroyed me and I said I have to suffer. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency or department. Good morning, good afternoon and good evening. Welcome to episode 331 of the 108 podcast, The Hero's Journey. I'm your host, 108, and my guest today is Frank from Reps for Responders. Today's episode, we talk about the age-old concept, the hero's journey. We also talk about the importance of not fighting battles alone and the importance of having a support group around you. And while I don't mean a group where you sit around and talk about your feelings, those come in handy too, and we'll talk about that later in the episode as well. All of that awaits you on this episode of the 108 Podcast, brought to you by Jiu-Jitsu 5.0. Folks, I want to tell you about Jiu-Jitsu 5.0. At Jiu-Jitsu 5.0, they believe training is a lifestyle. Their goal is to provide everything a police officer needs to not only become proficient in their control and defense skills, but also achieve all the physical and mental health benefits Jiu-Jitsu has to offer. And that's why they came out with the Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 app. It's the ultimate training tool for all law enforcement. Members get on-demand access to a huge library of techniques for the streets, grappling-based workouts, yoga, and monthly nutrition plans. Through the app, you also have 24-7 access to Jason, the founder of Jiu-Jitsu 5.0, for personalized training assistance. Jason is a black belt in Jiu-Jitsu and an 11-year law enforcement veteran. So go check out the Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 app in the app store of your choosing, available on iPhone and Android. Way back, many, many years ago, I was, before everything else, a creative writer. I left high school with hopes and dreams of one day being Hollywood's most prolific screenwriters, or at least one of them. Uh, I wanted to write gut-busting comedies and amazing dramas and historical pieces. I had aspirations to being this amazing Academy Award-winning writer, and people would love and cherish my work for centuries. Uh, I looked up to some of the most amazing film writers and filmmakers of all time, Orson Welles, Alfred Hitchcock, Martin Scorsese, goes on and on and on. And... We can go on and on about how that really wouldn't have worked out since I had original film ideas and Hollywood only gives a shit about remakes and sequels and superheroes and shit like that. But it doesn't matter because much like everything else in my life, those plans got fucked more times than Kim Kardashian. How's that for a reference? But one of the most simple story writing tropes in the world is the hero's journey. You can take any of your favorite movies and almost all of them will revolve around this idea of the hero's journey. It comes back all the way from ancient Greece with the Odyssey and the Iliad. Um, It's an ancient concept. It's very common. What is the hero's journey? Well, without going into a masterclass of writing by someone who has never professionally written shit in his life, let me break it down real simple style, Barney-like. There are three major sections in the drama we call those acts. And I like how I said we, like I'm some fucking Neil Simon over here. Anyway, the three acts are departure, initiation, and return. 
within those three acts are stages, depending on which literary savant you rely on for your information. I went to Wikipedia. Uh, it varies on the number of stages within those acts. But for better explanation, as we kind of go into it, this being May the 4th, May the 4th be with you and also with you, I'm going to break down uh, the idea of the hero's journey using uh, one of the best movies of all time, Star Wars A New Hope, and uh, which you know a lot of people may refer to as the first Star Wars or Episode 4 or whatever you want to do. But anyway, that's the one that we're going to use as a frame of reference. Uh, but basically, so your hero sets out on a journey. Uh, they take a break, or not a break, but there's something that changes their normal life. Uh, their life pre-story, what happened before the movie started, right? In A New Hope, assuming that we're talking about Star Wars from Luke's perspective, it's, a, it's the point where the farm boy comes across R2-D2 and C-3PO and then setting out on his journey, on his quest. Eventually, our hero meets a mentor, old Ben Kenobi, uh, meeting mentor is a big part, and then there are several test allies, uh, such as Han Solo and Princess Leia. Uh, by the way, Han shot first. Uh, and then the quest, the battles, all the different ins and outs of, of getting to this reward. Um, and also, you also have in the second act, the main character or whoever the hero is, whatever perspective you're going, they have their own internal struggles. Will they, won't they, all that stuff. Love interest sometimes plays in fact. Um, there's a love interest in A New Hope where he finds out it's his sister. It's really weird. But anyway, we're not going to talk about that. Uh, the third act is the return. It's when he comes back from his quest. Um, everything goes back to their new normal. And you can literally look at any of your movies and attribute these stages to that. So Batman Begins, that was on when I was writing this. Uh, the first Rocky, one of the best movies ever. Iron Man, it doesn't have to be a superhero movie. Um uh, there was a movie I watched several years ago called City Island. It, you just you take whatever your work of art that you're talking about, whether it be film, literature, or um, any kind of drama, and you find your hero, you find your 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 vantage point, and that should be it. That's when when you're writing. Um, that's you always want to know what the arc is going to be. You know, um, in The Sopranos, Christopher Moltisanti, he always was screaming like about his arc. What's my arc? What's my arc? Took me a second, but I remembered it now. So that's the idea of the hero's journey. But what about your life? In the words of Joe Rogan, if your life was a movie and you were the hero, your hero journey starts now. And what are you doing for it? And for reference, here's what I'm talking about. Be the hero of your own movie. If your life was a movie and it started now, forget about whatever financial disasters you've had, personal failures, relationship failures, what would the hero of your life's movie do right now? Do that. Do those things. We define ourselves far too often by our past failures. We look at our past and we say, well, that's me. That's not you. You are this person right now. You're the person who's learned from those failures. And you can choose to be the hero of your own movie right now. Write down your goals. Write down things you want to improve. Write down things you won't tolerate from yourself. Write down things that you've done in the past that you never want to see yourself do again. And go forth from here as the hero of your own movie. Build momentum. Build confidence and momentum with each good decision that you make from here on out. You can do it. Anyone can do it. We live in unique times. We live in one of the rarest times in human history where you can choose almost all the input that comes your way. Whether it's the movies that you watch, the books you read, the podcasts you listen to, you can choose to be inspired. Do that. Do that. And be the hero of your own movie. So what's your goal? Who's your mentor? Who are your allies? 
What is your path to success? These are all things that we've talked about all year on the show and, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around in personal life. Go ahead and check out my past episodes where I talk about mentors, I talk about uh, allies and your goals and things like that. But talking today, we have my friend Frank. Frank set out for his hero's journey when he didn't even realize that he was out there uh, into law enforcement in around 2015, and right around the time when I started mine. And like me, he had the ups and he had the downs, so... It's truly an amazing story. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna let you hear it from his words uh, specifically. So sit down, have a listen. Here's Frank and the hero's journey. It's a pretty great story of strength, growth, and resiliency. Check it out. All right, we are here. We've got Frank Vos. He is the founder of Fit. Nope, not Fit Responders. <laughs> See, I knew I was going to mess something up. Reps for Responders. Sorry. Let's try this again one more time. All right, we're here with Frank. He is the founder of Reps for Responders. Took me a second to get that the second time. We're, I told you, night shift, man. I'm still, I'm still waking up here. But uh, this has been a conversation that I've been kind of not. I, I don't want to say putting off. I want to say like hyping up for a long time i wanted to wait for just the right moment to hit um really take time to to plan this conversation and, and uh i'm very happy to have you on the show so without further ado frank how are you doing charlie thank you my friend uh it's an honor to be here and uh thank you for having me on support all the work you do um i love the palm trees in the back you know even though we're not outside but i am a little i am a little jealous but uh i'm here i'm holding it down i'm in the present moment in good old new york new york that's it man you know it's uh that present moment thing right that's so difficult for a lot of us to stick to it's so easy in in modern time and i'm sure it was difficult back you know our parents time and beyond that obviously because that's a very uh ancient mindset right but to be in that present moment and it's so difficult to stay there so i really like that you're saying that and that's something that i think we all need to focus on especially in law enforcement public safety um it's so easy to get wrapped up in the past it's so easy to get worried about the future so i think you know being in the present moment that's very important oh big time i mean that's the bliss in life and that's the hardest it's it's the hardest yet easiest thing to do but and and if you think about being in the present moment, I mean, when we're having a conversation, we're talking about usually things that happened in the past or maybe in the future. But as a first responder, like you said, public safety too, like being in that present moment on the call can not only save you know someone's life, it ultimately can save your life yeah. as well. Because you, you can be driving a call, somebody thoughts going through your head, and someone could say something on a call in a family job, and it could trigger you to have a memory in your own personal life, right? So. It, it, it takes a lot of practice. It's everyday practice, and, and I'm not perfect at it at all. But uh, when you realize it and you recognize it, like, ah, this is a present, it, it's like a feeling where, like, it's kind of like a Jedi feeling. I was just watching all Star Wars all day, oh, you know, yeah, getting yeah. myself hyped up for this. So uh, yeah, yeah. it's like the spidey sense is taking, um, kicking up. And uh, it, it brings you to really what's real and, and what's what's not real. Um, so it's an everyday practice, but uh, I'm, I'm glad to be in the present right now. Right, exactly. And I think a lot of our um, anxieties throughout life come from that living not in the present moment. And obviously that's kind of what the Buddhists always try to go through, 
you know, that's kind of the point of being present, achieving um, their um, their enlightenment is to be in the present moment. Uh, the Taoist, same thing. Like it's it's, it's a trans a transcendental transcend. I don't even know the word I'm looking for, but it's very important and it goes across all different platforms and uh, disciplines and things like that. Uh, being the stoic that I am uh, or try to be, I, I I just pulled up some of their responses to anxiety and one of them it says Seneca, he suffers more than necessary who suffers before it is necessary. You know, and that's kind of the idea. And I think it's so easy. Let me, let me put a spin on it. It's so easy for us to... Um, be present in an active moment, right? Like if you're um, in a high stress moment on the job, it's easy to be in that moment. But it's more important to, in my estimation, to be present when nothing's going on, right? Like that's when, for me, uh, you know, uh, uh, I always try to stay busy. So my mind stays focused because if I just let things kind of chill, that's where the anxieties and the things start rattling around. Yeah, and that's gonna that's gonna go right into my that's gonna go right into my personal story. And there's two quick quotes I wanted to, to say because we're on this topic and we're on the Star Wars topic. And okay, then okay. No more Star Wars puns, right? Hey, I'm good with uh, it. In episode two, I was just I just watched one through three like the past few days. Um, like like you know, the uh, the second. Oh, okay, the original trilogy. Yeah, okay. the original. Yeah, like the not four, five, and six. Uh, like one Anakin is Anakin. Uh, Obi-Wan says to Anakin, be mindful of your thoughts, Anakin. They betray you. And it's just so damn true. Right. And going into when you're by yourself, right? Like nobody, when you're by yourself and you're in that car, sometimes and a lot of times there's no one to speak to. And you can literally have that conversation with yourself and start to believe things that aren't re- really true. And it leads into this other quote where Obi-Wan speaking to Luke and Obi-Wan says, Luke, you're going to find that many of the truths we cl- we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. Mm. The truth is often what we make of it. You heard what you wanted to hear, believed what you wanted to believe. And that goes to policing on if you are – something gets out. with, And, and, and I'm going to direct this to our own right? – not even talking about outside in the civilian world – you hear something and you're like, oh man, I can't believe this this person, this cop did this X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, it's like telephone, right? And then you don't even know the cop, and but you already made that assumption from that right. point of view yeah. and already stigmatizing this person before you even meet them. And you don't even know what the truth is. But in your mind, you already say, this person a POS or this person is a good guy or this person is a great cop, this person is a bad cop. And you haven't even – even if you, you had a few jobs with them or you don't really know – we don't really know our coworkers like we think we do. And I think it's our responsibility to try to get to know who they are, not only on the job, but a little bit off the job to say, hey, like, do they have, do you have a family? Mm-hmm. What are you, what is, what are you into? Your hobbies and things like that. And I think that could, that's peer support in itself. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think to, if we're really going to be a, a family, then we have to treat ourselves like family. Um, you know, and it's so easy to kind of turn your nose up to that idea, especially if you're going to be cynical. You know, I, I definitely have okay. that that way, and I think that's pretty common these days to be cynical about the job and, and things like that. But the fact of the matter is we spend so much time doing this job with these people. You need to make it kind of a family thing because it, it, on and off duty because if I don't know what I'm fighting for, then why am I going to fight for it? And there's a, again, going back to the stoic quotes, 
Um, where'd it go? I just had it. It said something to the effect of, if you don't know which port you're sailing to, no wind is favorable. And, you know, you need to know what you're fighting for. You need to know what you're going for. Um, also, love the Star Wars references. I was thinking about it. I don't... I have a lot of nerdy stuff right over here off camera. No Star Wars. Uh, oh, you know what? There might be a Baby Yoda somewhere, but I don't think... I don't know. Um, but anyway, that being <laughs> said, uh, we are, we're kind of knee-deep in, into mud already, and I haven't even let you introduce yourself, so let's go ahead and take a step back real quick. Um... Folks listening, that's kind of where this conversation is going to go. We're gonna we're gonna get deep with it. So anyway, Frank, this is uh, this is your chance. Go ahead, introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, where you're from, what you do, and uh, we will go back into the conversation from there. Right on. Uh, yeah, real quick too. Aaron, huge fat loser. If you're listening to it, once he hears a Star Wars reference, I hope he doesn't shut it off. So Aaron, this is a, a shout out to you, man. Just just hang on and, and listen for us. Uh, <laughs> he always busts my chops. But yeah, my name is Frank. I've been a uh, an active law enforcement officer, so I'm here to represent Reps for Responders. I'm not here to represent any department, but I am the founder and president of Reps for Responders uh, that was created in 2020. But I've been a law enforcement officer uh, since uh, 2015. So I'll have eight years this July. Before that, I was a volunteer firefighter for three years. Um, before that, I was an Eagle Scout, so serviced in the community, um, played college football, competitive powerlifting, uh, done CrossFit done the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu competition, um, all that stuff to try to better myself. Uh, and a lot of it is not only physically, but it's more mentally because we're going back to that state of when I was in my younger 20s, being by myself, not only on the job, but in relationships uh, was that point of view was really, I wasn't comfortable being by myself. So that's kind of where the story will will, will kick into. And uh, 2015, I graduated from the New York City Police Department Academy. Uh, funny story, I thought I was going to go to Manhattan, and they're in the academy, and they say my name, and uh, they give me my precinct, 40, 42nd precinct, the 4-2, and I'm like, where the hell is that? And it was the South Bronx, and everyone was laughing, because all my friends, I told them, oh, I think I'm going to Manhattan, and I'm right by Yankee Stadium, and it was just a funny running joke. So, graduated the academy December of 2015, and right to the South Bronx as 23 years old, um, uh, uh, you know, man, but really a, a kid. So I was there for two years, and I first got there, and it was kind of like, what am I doing here? Those thoughts of, do I want to do this job? And I've talked to a lot of cops I've talked to. They had that conversation. They've had those thoughts, or they're like, I love this, right? It's like, I love this, or, you know, is this for me? Um, and you see guys leave, and then you see guys fight through it. But it made me feel like I was back playing college football because of the coworkers I was around. And it made me feel like I was part of something bigger than myself. And that's what my mind was always clicking to. It was like the team drive, the team aspect, everyone working together, everyone have each other's back. So I did 4 to 12, which is the busiest shift, in my opinion, uh, in any precinct in the New York City Police Department and probably a lot countrywide. Um, and I had a partner and steady partner. And then I was oh, – my mind opened up to – a lot more and open up to a lot of different uh, cultures and just be seen like I, I'm from a small uh, a small town in a county um, but seeing all these different types of communities together and there's more the life than just like this one county I was living to and traveling so that was really cool um, and then yeah it was great I mean I remember just leaving work and leaving work there and I, and doing peer support before I even knew what it was, was if something was bothering me, I had some coworkers I can call and talk to them about it and we would get it off get it off my chest. They would walk me through it. We would laugh and then 
leave it at work. Like when I crossed that bridge back home, left it there. So I was there again, six months in the academy, two years, uh, very busy command, and I ended up leaving the department to go to my home depart- hometown department in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, did pretty well on the test, and everybody was like, that's like everyone's everyone's saying, like, get here, get in, and get out as fast as you can, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, yeah, I got to do like that. That's like the uh, the New York fuck. thing, right? Like, if yeah. you can make it here, you can literally make it anywhere. Go do it, that kind of thing. Yeah, like, get out of here, kid. Yeah. This job's dead. Uh-huh. The job's dead. This yeah, is yeah. back 2015. Get out of here. You're smarter. You're better than this, all that stuff. So I'm like, yeah, they're right. This job is, you know, meanwhile, never, no, no, no complaints, really, you know? Yeah, over time here and there, but you're the new guy, you know? Back then, and the times, have, and I'm sounding like I have so much time on, which I don't, but the change from now... 2023 to 2015, the newer guys is completely different. That could be a whole other podcast. I feel like cops age in dog years anyway. So, I mean, you're fine. You know, however many years, you times that by seven, and that's really what your service is. Yeah. Especially in a busy Um, agency. In in the Bronx, yeah, I'm like 56. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, So I left, and I did well, and I came to my hometown, and I'm like, you know, peace out. Throw the middle finger up, and closer to home, safer, more money. I got the Golden Willy Wonka ticket out, man. I made it. Uh, two years, kind of very unheard of, of being able to leave so quickly. And I got to my, my hometown, and that's where, stranger thing reference, my upside down turned real quick. And um, within the first few months, uh, so solo patrol, right? City, two-man car, solo patrol. Our shifts would change. You do a week week of days, a week of 4 to 12s, a week of days, Ooh. a week to 4 to 12s. And I was used to steady 4 to 12s. Um and I was just sitting in the car by myself, man. This is going to, Charlie, this is going to line up right where you said. And, and all these thoughts just started coming in. Did I make the right decision? Is this for me? A lot of medical calls, a lot of pressure on myself of, you know, not only do the cops, but everyone in the town, like, know who you are and any little thing. If you make a little mistake, they're going to find out. These are just a lot of just, again, this is all me. Nobody, like, did this to me. I did this to myself. But it gets to a bigger it gets to a bigger picture of things that I was hiding really my whole entire life. Mm-hmm. So I went from a solid one eighty, one eighty five to one sixty five, just stopped working out. I stopped eating. I remember all I could do was like a green shake and uh, green iced tea from Dunkin' Donuts. That was like my diet. Uh shut down. It was bad. Uh, I started hanging out with Jack and Jose a lot. So Jose Cuervo and Jack Daniels. Before the you know, I remember getting my first fight or flight attack. Uh, aka panic attack saying what the hell is going on um, what is this you know how is this happening like I, I take care of myself I work out like you know this has never happened before and I just remember thinking like suffering really bad and saying like I can't tell anyone about this like I'm a cop like if I hand in my gun and shield or if I tell anybody about this like I'm done meanwhile like I'm drinking I'm you know pause I'm driving like there's just a lot of things that is even like 10 times worse than what I'm thinking, right? Mm-hmm. So my girlfriend at the time is noticing a huge change in my behavior. We move into an apartment together because I think that's going to fix everything, right? And that's, that's a good learning experience is guys out there or girls out there, if you think moving in just to make your significant other happy is going to be a great idea, I, I highly not recommend to do it because um, – it was not good. I was I wasn't even paying. I wasn't even doing anything in the house. I was laying in bed, and these are all symptoms of what depression and anxiety. And I remember, I remember the day Charlie, where one day I just woke up, and I just couldn't feel anything anymore. Everything was black and gray. 
not literally, but my perspective. And I just remember my nervous system, just my nerves, just I literally couldn't feel anything. I felt like I didn't care about anything. I'm going to work. I'm calling out of sick from work. Like, it's a disaster. I'm brand new. I'm like, I'm totally going to get fired. I'm totally like, guys at work were noticing. Um, and I remember finally seeing a seeing a therapist and I was paying cash because I didn't want the job to find out. Like, I remember wearing sweatshirts. To, it was crazy. Wearing sweatshirts with hoods up so, so no one would know who I am walking into this building. And talking about my situation and all I could talk about is twice the song should I stay or should I go and 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 right that was my life and we started focusing on other things in my life and I'm like why are we focusing on this shit like you know it's like I wanted him to tell me should I stay or should I go when it was also obviously we know it's my choice Mm. so go to therapy for for months so again I got in this department in January of 2018 time's going by like, dude, three, four months in, I'm like, fuck this. I'm going back. And I started the paperwork to go back. And the issue was, too, was that my whole family is from this hometown. My parents went to high school. They're, they're, my aunts and uncles, my cousins, everybody. Um, my grandfather was, was very well known here. So I felt like also I didn't want to let them down. Like, if I left here to go back, I would let them down. And it really, really took a toll on me. Got rid of social media, stopped watching TV, would take like three or four baths in a day, like very like ritual OCD anxiety stuff. So when the anxiety went away, the depression kicked in and I said, oh shit, this is what depression is. Like this is real. Like this is what it is. Because at that age too, I remember like how could people be depressed? Like life is so good. Yada, yada, yada. So I remember seeing a nurse practitioner in psychiatry telling them what's going on. Um, and the sleep was terrible. And so I got put on Seroquel and Prozac. And I got put on Seroquel and Prozac. And within three to four days of taking that medication was the first time I ever had suicidal ideations, thoughts in my head. And I said, what the, now really, Charlie, what the fuck mm-hmm. is going on, right? And, and I'm still trying to hide it at work. Meanwhile, guys are seeing me basically de- like deteriorate. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, yada, yada, yada. And... I remember going into the RMP, the police car, and trying to log in. And I just couldn't even remember my password. And I just remember sweating. And I just, I remember like slapping the the, arm, the computer and saying, you know, you fucking idiot, Frank. You can't even remember to get in. You'd be a cop, blah, blah, blah. A lot of, a lot of negative self-talk. So I said, why would I feel like this on the medication when I could just drink? So I cut a cold turkey and kept drinking. Um, there was some AA subliminal message from the therapist and the nurse practitioner to go to AA and like this is not a drinking problem this is a problem of you guys don't understand because I put so much self-worth in this hometown right like this was I made it like you make it here this is it like Mm -hmm. you don't you're set Mm -hmm. and then I kept thinking do I want to do solo patrol for 20 years in my hometown and just be a cop and I was just like you know Frank your ego got the best of you and he really didn't do this for you and it destroyed me and I said I have to suffer like this is it you know like I have to suffer I have to make my life a living hell because I made this choice so the paperwork was put in people heard don't go back you'll ruin your life now I'm like oh man maybe they're right maybe I go back it's gonna be the worst decision ever and I just remember, man, like I, it was so bad. I couldn't, it took me like maybe two to three minutes to tie my shoes. And now I feel like everything in my life is 
I'm, I'm, a, I'm a complete loser. Like, I can't do anything right. If I can't even tie my shoes or turn the computer on, how am I ever going to be a cop? Who's ever going to want to, like, be near me? Who's ever going to trust me? And it's a cycle, man. It's a nasty cycle. So I tell the, the doctor, the nurse practitioner, it's not working. So they put me on Zoloft. And I'm going to mention all these medications because these medications, maybe some listeners have heard of these medications or have been on them before, right? So then after Zoloft, they go on Wellbutrin. And then after Wellbutrin, it was like out of a movie. She takes, opens up the drawer and says, take this right now. It's Rexulti. So, dude, within like three months, I'm on five different SSRIs. Mm-hmm. And I felt like a lab rat. I felt like a zombie. Um, I had no energy. I always make the reference if me and my mom were walking down the street and someone tried to beat up my mom or rob her, I would just watch and do nothing when I'm the total opposite of that. I felt powerless, man. I felt helpless. I felt my whole life in front of me what people would ask me about working out and ask me questions and look up to me and no one's ever going to want to talk to me again. And I did it to myself and you deserve this, Frank. That was the, the true thoughts. Ten months went by and I ended up going back to the city. And I go back and I remember the day before I left, uh, the captain here shook my hand and said, Frank, you know, it's going to be... They didn't want me to leave. Uh, but at, at the same time, they knew I was going through a hard time, but they didn't know like to the extent on how dark this was. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not, you know, everyone that goes to these your home down the apartment, it's like a good thing. It's great. And I said to myself, of course, Frank, you, you know, you, you would have a good thing and ruin, and ruin it. And he shook my hand and said, sad to see you leave. Uh, we were just talking about you and your activity over the past few months. And you, you were doing a good job and I wish you the best of luck. And I just remember walking to my car and saying, you know, Frank, like, why don't you believe in yourself? Like, I thought I was doing such a terrible job, but I was just doing good. I was doing okay, right? Not being the best, not being the worst, but for a new guy there, I was doing doing my job well. And I couldn't see that. And I went back to the city for about two weeks. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, what happened? Are you okay? It was that bad. I just said it wasn't for me. And I just remember, man, like looking at myself in the precinct in the mirror and just staring at myself of, you know, like skin and bone and be like, who the hell are you? Like, what is this? And I remember I would be, because then I had to get all my equipment back, right? So I just remember going on a meal, dude, going upstairs to the to the locker bedroom. It's disgusting, right? There's no sheets on the beds. These bunk beds are probably from like fucking 1960. Just laying on them, dude, just like rotting away. Uh, not going back downstairs. Just like I would get texts. Sometimes I wouldn't answer them or I'll just be like, yeah, I'm not coming down. Like crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my family was getting very worried. So at that time too, my girlfriend at the time, she left. She left the relationship. I went back to the job in November. She left in October. We left the apartment. I'm back home. And I'm like, my friends don't want to talk to me anymore. Not because they're mad at me, but we kept having the same conversation over and over again. And my family was very worried about me. My mom's a nurse. My aunt's a doctor. And said, you need to do something like now. You can't even care for yourself anymore. Um, so I ended up checking myself into New York Presbyterian Hospital in Manhattan. And I remember the ride down and telling the PBA rep who went to my night, went to my parents' house at night, take my gun and shield. I said, that's it. My life's over. Maybe I'll be a lobster fisherman in Maine or something like that. You know, like this is it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I walk into Presbyterian in Manhattan and I tell them the story and I am like, listen, I'm just very drained of telling the story and over and over again. Like, oh, we've, we've been through a hard time and we want to help you sign this paper. You'll go to our Westchester Center. Okay. So I'm upstairs in my own room in like a freaking glass room looking over New York City and I'm like, wow, this is like 
this is kind of beautiful. Like, I just remember, like, a small glimpse of, like, happiness for, like, five seconds. I'll never forget that. And I tell the nurse, all right, nurse, load it up. Like, knock me out means, like, you know, give me the sleep medication. So I pass out. I'm ready for tomorrow. So they, I wake up, and they take me to downstairs, and they start, all right, man, hop on. And I'm like, hop on? Uh, you got to go in the stretcher. I'm like, what do you mean go in the stretcher? They're like, yeah, it's protocol. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm not laying in the stretcher. And then things started clicking in my head. They go in the stretcher, dude. They fuck, They wrap me up. They put me on the back of an ambulance, a bus. And we call in the city a bus. It's an ambulance. And I go to this place in Westchester. All right, man. Take your shoes off. Undo your, un, your shoelaces. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I realized that I was going into a psych ward. Mm. And here we are now. Saying, holy shit, Frank, look, you're what, now you're what really sick people, psychosis, schizophrenia. <clears throat> and uh, I was there for two weeks, and it was 10 minutes of seeing these doctors, 23, minutes and 50, 23 hours and 50 minutes of nothing. Support groups and quotes, basketball outside, 30 minutes a day, twice a week, medication time, meal time, uh, phone time. It was a prison, dude. I'm like, what the, f- what's going on? Like, I'm whacked. I'm done. It's over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there's a few stories, but one quick story. This guy walks by me. He goes, I know you. And this guy looks This guy looks like a homeless guy. I'm looking at him I'm like, I don't fucking know you. He goes, I know you. I said, okay, where do you know me from? He goes, you're in the Bronx, right? And I was like, I don't live in the Bronx. He goes, you drive a silver car? I like, yeah. He goes, you drive by Yankee Stadium? I said, sometimes. What? I drive. I took that way every day to work. He goes, I'm on the on the McCone Dams Bridge every day, and I remember that you gave me a twenty dollar bill one day. <coughs> I said, Holy shit! This is the guy that stands outside every day at the bridge by Yankee Stadium asking for money. And one day, man, after like a year, year and a half, I felt bad. I said, Here you go, and he gave him a twenty dollar bill. Didn't say go buy food, whatever you want to do with it, do with it. This fucking guy remembered it, wow. and his name was Stewie. And his name was Stewie. So very very strange. But anyway. Uh, I leave. Two weeks I left. I lasted a day, Charlie. I did like the Joker laugh, the high Joker laugh when I walked out. I said, I'm worse. I'm not better. I said, what the fuck is going on? I go back in. My roommate at the time, Nick, this Italian guy, he's eating eating breakfast, man, in the cafeteria. (laughs) It's like a jail cell, dude. And I walk in and he looks at me and he just drops his spoon from his right into a cereal goes holy shit Frank you're back man what did they do to you I don't know if it's worse in here or out there and I just remember you know you can look back at this and laugh about these things so I tell them um, I gotta tell you guys something I'm drinking they're like why don't you tell us that in the first place and I said I didn't know it was a big deal <laughs> you know <laughs> I had no idea they're like alright read this book I'm like okay uh, read the, the first the first um, not chapter but the opening it's called The Doctor's Opinion I said it's a pretty big book what's it called they said, it's a big book. I said, I know it's a big book. They said, no, it's a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said, oh, shit. All right, this is where we're going with that. So it took me like an hour to read 15 pages because I couldn't focus. But I just remember vividly to this day, and reading it again, of course, once I dove into my recovery sobriety work, is you are having an allergic reaction from alcohol to your brain. And it stuck with me. Like, hmm. Every time I drink, good things don't happen. Mm-hmm. And... I, I'm not a person that can have two or three drinks. And even before the situation, I would drink on my RDOs one to two days a week. But it wouldn't be Charlie two or three. We're either having 20 to 25 or we're having none. 
Then I would go on spouse. Well, I have a competition, so I'm not going to drink for a month. And after that, balls to the wall again, right? Keep the party going kind of guy. Have fun. Oh, I love you, man. Like, dude, I just met you at the bar two hours ago type of guy. And like, you're my best friend now, right? Like that kind of mindset. Right. So I waited two more weeks upstairs in the ward. And I went downstairs to their inpatient. I did that. I got out. I got sent back to my precinct. And people knew uh, that I was hospitalized. But I had some good support there. And a lot of people didn't ask questions. So I waited. I lied to you. It was – I didn't go back right away. I remember going to the psychological section. And I walk in and they say, wow, like you, you seem very depressed. And I wanted to be like, no shit. <laughs> right, like, right. And I, I remember sticking up for myself there saying, I came back to this job for a reason. I'm a good cop. I want to be a cop. I'm just, I don't know what's going on. I'm going through a hard time. So they're like, all right, well, it looks like Presbyterian has an outpatient program set up for you. Like, why don't you just go through that? Okay, no other recommendations, no psychologist recommendations, nothing. So I go to this outpatient in New Jersey for like a month, not even it was terrible. It was like a kumbaya circle with everybody. I'm like, this is this is ridiculous. I was trying to get my girlfriend back, being one of those guys that would text her every other day, and she's like, stop texting me. And I'm like, I love you. Please stop. I'm gonna get better. And it's just like, leave me alone. And now you feel like a creep, and yeah, it's yeah. it's not good. So my mom comes up to me, and she's like, I found I found this place on their laptop. And I'm look, I'm like, I'm not going to another place in person, in impatient. I was just. She's like, please just look at it. Um, and there's some dark stories that I'm going to lead out, but very dark stories. But they have a, a glimpse of hope and a higher power, little symbols, synchronicity coming down in moments where – and people will understand what I'm talking about. And so you, Charlie, where you, you could do something that you'll never be able to get it back, but there's little signs that happen. And she was a big part of that. So a day or two went by and I looked at this place. I said, fuck it. I'll go. You know, so I went to uh, the farm, we call it in the city, High Watch Recovery Center in Kent, Connecticut. So I went from February of 2019 to April of 2019. Uh, got out, and then that's when I got sent back to my prison. And uh, I was there for about two weeks, and then I got sent to uh, Detective Borough in the city somewhere. Okay. And I'm like, oh, great, here we go again. So when I got out of the farm, dude, I went from 165 to 215. Mm. I was never over 200 pounds in my life. So psychologically, that really messed with me because, again, it's a working out, never over 200 pounds. I tried to get over 200 pounds naturally, working out and eating, couldn't do it. So now I'm like, Frank, you're just a fucking mess. You're like a, a fucking lazy sloth, you know? And um, a lot of what happens is the SSRIs, too, they pack on a lot of water weight, right? So... I was eating again. I was on this powerful medication. So then I was on another medication called Trintalex. So I was on Effexor and Trintalex at the same time. So I'm like, here we go. I'm a misfit. People are going to ask why you're here and all that stuff. And I just had to tell them straight up, right? You know, i going through a hard time. I was drinking a lot and I just got out of the farm. Boom. Conversation was done. So I started to settle in there. Uh, learned some cool detective work and things like that. <clears throat> and I had a great idea, Charlie. When the summer came around, I said, well, I'm starting to feel a little better. Uh, I'll only drink at Yankee games or the Jersey Shore or weddings where no one will know who I am and no one's going to find out and, you know, that'll be okay. Well, that didn't work. And finally, September of 2019, a girlfriend came back into my life. We went to a wedding, man, and I drank. And then it was not good. The next day, she we went to the dog park. She's like, why are you doing this? You still have your job. 
Uh, I'm back in your life. I'm about to walk away already. Why are you doing to yourself? Why are you punishing yourself? And that's when I thought about it. Going back to, I felt like I had to make myself suffer, right? I said, you're right. I'm done talking. I really am done talking. And you can leave if you want, but I'm going to show you at the time. At that time, it wasn't even about me yet. It was showing her, I'm going to do this. So that night, I went to an AA meeting. And after that, I went to an AA meeting. And after that, and after that, and after that, and it just kept piling up. And then I saw a therapist. I got another therapist. Um, And that first therapist that I had uh, ultimately ended up saving my life. He helped me unravel things about the Game of Thrones story that I created in my head. That this is how my life has to be. And, Mm -hmm. you know, looking at my family history and all this stuff. And and how much pressure I put on myself. That was ultimately my point of view. Going back to the point of view that I created. At that time, I'm still there at the Detective Bureau. And I... 10 officers lost their life to suicide in 2019, NYPD. 12, if you count the two guys that just retired. Don't quote me on it. 238 maybe that year, countrywide, right? We had an epidemic. I said, what the fuck is going on? But what really scared me was out, I was this close to being number 11. Mm-hmm. And I said, something has to be done. I don't know what it is. And the way that I felt like I was getting treated there, where they make you drive all the way to Queens, for it was for me, dude, it was like an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, tolls, you show up, oh, we didn't know you were coming in today, can you wait two hours? Like, what do you mean? Like, you told me to come here. Right. Same questions every single time, 15 minutes. I mean, Charlie, I could have sent you in, dude, with my mm-hmm. face on a piece of paper and they would have never known the difference. Yeah. So I said, all right, what has really helped me? Working out, eating healthy as best that I can, and talking about my day, good or bad, with like-minded individuals has really always been there for me. So I said, all right, I'm going to start a nonprofit. I don't know nothing about business, but let's do it. Let's go. And there's the addiction part of me going all in on that. And I did it. And I started it. Uh, dropped about two grand just to start it. Uh, found an outside company to start the paperwork and do it for me. And the mission, uh, in, improve mental health for first responders. Um, and uh, that's basically it in some substance. And at the time, and that was it. It approved. I said, all right, I'm going to open up a gym free for first responders and military. Never was a gym owner, was a personal trainer before the job, been around a lot of different gyms, but going to open up a gym for first responders and military. And the goal is to run a meeting there once a week, roll call, no bullshit to help guys and girls just open up and speak about what they want to speak about. And hopefully we can find resources at that time. That was my thinking in the community to get them where they want, where they need the help. And also, if I'm a cop in the Bronx, I might not feel comfortable talking about things with other cops in the Bronx. But if I meet a cop in Manhattan or a different county or a different town or a firefighter, they can meet at the gym. They can get coffee before, after. It was like a peer-to-peer. That's what I was picturing it to be. So March of 2020, what else happened? COVID. Mm-hmm. The gym was open for 10 days. Dropped like 10 grand, man. And I remember even saying... Yeah, just to keep the doors open, I'm going to give an X amount percent of my, my paycheck into this, you know, and it's like crazy thinking. Um, but that's how much I cared. And doors were open for two weeks. We closed it for good. And like, this really sucks. I was four months sober at the time. I said, all right, well, I can go left and just say it was worth a shot. Or I can go right and say this is when first responders need us the most in the pandemic. But this is when Frank needs himself the most. Uh, because it was really helping my sobriety. And it was really helping me. So we went right. I had a great team, still do. Uh, reps wouldn't be here without the team. 
and we went virtual, basically like everybody else. And we started the responder talk meetings uh, every Sunday at 7 p.m. via Zoom, which you'll be a guest speaker soon. And I remember, dude, me and the addiction trauma specialist that we have on our team, just being in there with two guys, sometimes one person, three guys and girls. And months go by, four or five people. Like Maybe this isn't working, but we kept going, we kept going. And every Sunday night now, we average about 15 to 30 people. Uh, we've had check-ins from 24 different states across the country, so that's a big part of responders. So that is really how responder was born. And I remember in January of 2020, man, was supposed to be my final interview with the job. 14 months went through. They were going to say, basically, if they're going to clear me or not to go back to do this job. And I get a phone call two hours before the final interview saying, we're sorry to tell you, but your doctor left the department. You need a new doctor. I said, what does this mean? Dude, two hours before this final interview that I'm with, we're sorry, it's a mistake up on the higher end. She left to a different job. We'll get you a new doctor. We'll reach out to two weeks. That two weeks turned into eight months. Mm. Not one fucking person on this job reached out to me. My coworkers did. The ref responders people did. Right, and that really lit a fire under my ass to really push reps more. Like, all right, now it really has to be, be out there because then no, who's going to care? Health and wellness was just being created at that time; didn't exist yet. So, it it was tough, man. It was tough. Uh, but one of the most beautiful bliss things that came from this man was my own father, volunteer firefighter for forty years, still active. My uncle was FDNY, had to retire because of nine eleven. Both my great grandparents were NYPD. Um, he went to the same rehab that I did. Mm. Uh, I went in what I was saying in 2019 from February to April. He went November of 2019 and he's been sober since then. Wow. So I said, if it can help this guy, he was addicted, unfortunately, to not only booze, but he had two broken legs, one from the firehouse, one from work. So he had Percocets, Vicodins, right? What was going to go off first, the gun or the knife? I mean, the guy even had alcoholic acidosis where his organs were shutting down because of alcohol. He was in the hospital, I remember. And Charlie, I remember my my parent, my it was bad. And, you know, just war stories that you don't really want to share. But, you know, picking them up on the side of the house. Just like sick shit, man. Uh, and I remember it to the point where my mom, man, she's a freaking angel. I've been through them. But, you know, like I said, my my dad's four years older than my mom. And my mom took my dad to prom. You know, mm-hmm. so there's a mm-hmm. And I remember having this conversation, man. I'm going over the causeway. I'm by myself on the phone. And... Sun is out, and the causeway is like a, a, a long bridge that connects one town to the other town where, where I live. And my dad had an incident the night before, and uh, he fell in the kitchen, cracked his head open. I don't, he didn't even, I don't even know if he got stitches, but it was pretty bad. And we had to force him to go to the hospital, basically. You know, the police were there. The police that I just left were there. Mm-hmm. Right? Embarrassing. And he calls. He's with my mom. And my mom was close to leaving, man. And my brother... And he's like, all right, all right, I'll go to outpatient. I said, Dad, outpatient ain't going to do it. And this is just the police logic in me speaking. I made it up off a whim. And I don't know if he knows this to this day. I said, uh, and he comes to the meetings every Sunday. It's a great thing. I go, Dad, I don't want to have, because he's been in this town for 50 years. A lot of people know him, a lot of service. And the apple don't fall far from the tree of what other people are going to think about you, right? So I don't have to call the court and get a mental health warrant to mandate you to go to rehab because you're an endangered to yourself while you're driving and others and you're highly depressed. Dude, there was a pause for 10 seconds and he goes, all right, I'll go. I said, you'll go? He said, yeah, I'll go. Click, hang up the phone, call the rehab center. Dude, two days later, the fucking rehab came to my house, threw him in a van 
he drove off. I was so happy. Right? Yeah, like, you yeah, know, yeah. and he went and he's still sober. And that was the main thing saying, if this guy can do it, I know reps can work. If you really want it, it will work. Yeah. And yeah, that's a little, I'll pause for a second because I just went off a little bit. No, 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 you're good. Um, I, I've just noticed your entire story, the transition about your purpose and your why. It's gone from proving people wrong or improving people that you can do things then it became about you and now it's become the greater good and i think you know starting maybe with your with this last story with your father and then going out um that trans transformation that you've kind of explained i think that's where a lot of people i mean it, it speaks to me directly because you know i've had i'm I'm going through some things myself and, and having conversations with people close to me and you, you know, you start realizing like your own shortcomings and so many times the things we do, um, are for the benefit of others, not us. And, um, you know, I think that goes a lot with our profession and, you know, people call law enforcement all the time a calling and I joke and say, well, it's a job, but it, it, it is a calling. Only certain people can do what we do. And I think that is just ingrained with us. And I think the, the idea, the natural born inclination to go first, right, and do things for other people, it's just what we do. That's just what is ingrained in us. That's the true calling is to do things for the better of other people, whether it be law enforcement, firefighter, um, you know, starting a nonprofit for other people. That's That's it, right? But it's very important for us to realize the benefit that we get out of it as well and putting yourself first is so second nature or it's not even it's it's a different thing for people like us we we don't put ourselves first we don't take care of ourselves we do things to either prove people wrong because we're competitive like that or we do it for you know i'm going to do this for this other person because that's just who we are naturally and so hearing your story and hearing that transformation and how you really seem to get well and you seem to really make that switch when your mind realized like, no, I have to take care of me first before I can do anything else. And I think once you did that is when the, fl- the switch flipped and everything else seemed to start falling into place. Oh, yeah, you, 100%. And, and, and also in this profession, it's – and I think it's also protecting – I don't know if it's protecting the ego, but it's protecting something in us. Um, I don't know if it's a child in us or the id of, you know, I, I have to prove myself to others and I have to protect everybody, right? And, and I think that is a calling, man. Mm-hmm. That That is. And, and you're right. Not everybody can do this job. And we can see that there's cops on this job that may not be, shouldn't be cops. And that's okay. You know, I say if, the NY, if, the, if, if my job is going to get rid of me tomorrow, I'm going to be pissed and upset. But I'll be okay. If that was five years ago conversation, I wouldn't know what the fuck I would yeah. do. I'd always say, if I wasn't a cop, I wouldn't know what I would do. But now I'm okay with myself. And that goes to the hero journey. And I just pulled it up because I can give a definition. But this definition is a lot more simpler. Okay. And the hero's journey is a common narrative, archetype, or story template that involves a hero. right? And we, every single person has a hero journey. Who goes on an adventure, learns a lesson, wins a victory was that newfound knowledge and then returns home transformed. That's it right there, man. And we have multiple hero journeys in our lives. And that's the story with the Minotaur. That's the story, the story of the Greek mythology, Minotaur and Thesis, and that's one of our symbols and retro responders. It's on our shirts, our logo that you wear proudly, so thank you, Charlie, um, about the hero journey. 
and about the labyrinth is our mind and we can get caught in the labyrinth all the time and the hero journey it's not just one it's going to be a new promotion a new job when you have a kid a new relationship and you got to be ready for it and you have to you have to fight man you have to be okay with not giving up and saying yeah it's going to be hard life is very hard okay extremely hard but it's it's the journey on the way and the other people you come across with that make that help you make it and that's a huge part and that's why each department doesn't have one cop out right there's not just all right west palm beach you got one cop out there no you know new york city there's one cop per borough no like come on it's a joke so uh that's that that was my hero journey and and i've had many since then too and um going back you know online we started doing online fundraisers uh then the gym started opening so what we do now is we sponsor first responders and and our umbrella is law enforcement firefighter ems emt corrections nurses and police dispatchers and we'll pay for act so the meeting that i said the responder talk if anyone wants the information just reach out to myself every sunday at 7 p.m that's for active retired the gym sponsorships are for active and it's three months at where we live uh brazilian jiu-jitsu gym crossfit strength conditioning gym we do sponsorships for recovery coaching. We have meditation training. We have health and nutrition coaching. Um, I'm a recovery coach now. You know, I work with guys for 12 weeks. I say, Charlie, man, how are we going to get you to stay sober from today, Monday to next Monday? That's all I give a shit about. We're not, you know, we're not here. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a clinician. We, we, I want to help you get good habits, good routines, and uh, to build that to help you stay sober. And education on nutrition, fitness, are you getting your blood work done, things like that. Um, so that's a great part. It helps with my sobriety. I still hit my AA meetings, not as much as I would like to with my schedule now, but I still do have online meetings. Uh, but that's reps in a nutshell, man. We go from gym to gym. We speak at departments. We wrote a book. I mean, it's been a it's been a hell of a journey, man, for just starting it from scratch. Uh, it's been great. So I was at Detective Burl Bronx for years, uh, from 2019 to 2022. There you go. That's the book, man. Thank you. And remember what I was saying when I went to the detective borough and I was like upset and I was nervous? Yeah. It was one of the greatest moves. Mm-hmm. The people I was great, met a lot of high-ranking people, great detectives, learned a lot, made some good friendships. Those guys I can call right now and they'll pick up. Um, so 2022 came and I got a phone call uh, saying, do you want an interview at the health and wellness section? And I'm like, holy shit, this is – they oh, were seeing what – this is seeing what Red for Responders was. That's the reason why I got the call. Yeah. Went in, had the interview. And now, remember, I don't have my gun and shield yet, man. It's been fucking four years, dude. And I'm, I'm seeing people that get into DWIs and domestics and years go by. They get their stuff back. And then, like, you know, here I am, a guy that walked in, raised my hand for help. And, like, you know, am I that crazy? Like, is it is – what's going on here? And I understand. I was in a bad place. You had to take my gun away. You had to do this. I uh, take complete ownership of this. But – you know, I've been sober two years now. What's what's going on? Do you is it all about sharing our stories in the NYPD and getting guys and help, or is it just gonna be locked in the basement? You know, I, I was like uh, Rudolph's Misfits, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like Timmy yeah. and all that. That's how I felt. I was in purgatory, man. I would walk into into work at the at the borough and say, they don't even know I exist. They don't even know they're paying me. I'm getting a paycheck. They don't even know who they're paying. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. people would laugh and stuff and. Uh, they, so I got the call, and I was in health and wellness section all of 2022, um, which was great. Worked with Huge Fat Loser, right, Aaron? Um, and then finally, November of 2022. Um, so we'll take a step back. Let's take a step back because I need to share this. 
uh, I got married to that girl that left and came back. We've been married since August. She started her own recovery coaching program. Now she hosts every Wednesday night, Relationships Recovery, where significant others of uh, for females only, that their husband or their brother or their son or their boyfriend, they are just got sober or they're attempting to get sober. So she started her own thing, helping out people. We got married. A lot of I was on podcasts, articles, like all these all these cool things, right? Um, speaking at events, man. But the passed the sergeant exam. But the number one thing I can say is that I'm sober today, and that's the most important thing, man. Because without that, none of this should have happened, dude. Yeah. I wouldn't be talking to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and in we're oh, going on two years, almost to this date, I think I'd have to check. So I get a call when I'm at detective, and, and we because we got to talk about this, Charlie. We got to talk about not just traumatic events and shit that happens outside of work our personal lives too where you see the 1013s for you know an officer's child that has cancer or they lost a loved one or the house burns down all right like we don't know what's going on in people's lives we have to remember that so i get a phone call man oh i sitting down at the desk like i'm here now towards just started i get a phone call from my dad and he says uncle james and i knew it um, and this is an uncle that is my dad's brother and my uncle was the firefighter's brother he lost his job to drinking like 10 years ago and he could never get over it man and he had a good job and it really really affected him my great grand my grandfather my dad's father who passed away when i was one he had a heart attack in shop right big drinker and now i have the chance man to change this bloodline because a lot of people don't, you know they think it's a myth but it's a fact that it is genetic right mm-hmm. not every not every alcoholic right some people don't have the gene and they can still develop addiction and alcoholism in my mind you're one traumatic event away from picking up a drink or a pain pill or, or coping a negative way and not getting over it but now i have a chance to change that bloodline man to tr- hopefully try to change my dna and say you know what i can grow up with a with my kids with no alcohol in the, in the house you know i'll give them the speech it's their ultimately it's always going to be their choice sure. but i can always say i told you so so he says uncle james and i said how because I knew uh, it was an overdose. He's like, I'm not too sure yet. So I left work. I go to my grandma's house because my uncle still ended up moving back in with my grandma and my dad's mom. And uh, he ultimately ended up taking his own life and slitting his own throat. So this is 2021, right? And, uh, you know, we had, I don't really speak about it this much, but it's a good time to speak about it. You know, we had to clean up the scene because we didn't want to get cleaners in because... He had a bad heart and the doctor told him, you know, 30% of your heart's working and he would go to the doctor and he's, the doctor said, all right, you're doing better, James, keep it up. But by the doctor saying that in his mind, oh, great, I'm getting better. I can drink. No problem. Pandemic wasn't his friend. I took him to meetings, dude. He put like two, three months together. My dad was going there. And, and mind you, this is my dad's house that he grew up in to talk to James to say, hey, man, like we got, you got to do something. Like we want to get you into a rehab if you don't want to go to this rehab, we'll put money together for you. That was a conversation he was going to have. And he opens up and sees his brother laying there. No and everything, man. So that was a hard, that was hard for my family to be um, affected by it within the family circle. Not only what I just went through, right? And now my uncle seeing that I made it through, right? So it was given, you know, and it comes down to, unfortunately, we can't save everyone. So that was a tough loss for my family. Um, and then a month and a half later, my grandma passed away. Um, so again, she was 89, she had a heart attack in the house, but could it have been from a broken heart, right? Her, her son that lived there most of the life, 
um, now is not there anymore, right? So these things are real. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there about looking after, checking in, even if there's no traumatic, it shouldn't just be like, yo, you're good after a crazy call. So I wanted to put that out there because shit does happen. And thank God I would, I'm in recovery and I'm so, I was sober for it, man. And I didn't have to pick up a drink because of that. Yeah. that um, That's a very important thing. And, and, you know, I talk a lot about positive coping mechanisms and things like that, but it's so easy to slide back. So, so good on you for maintaining that. And obviously, you know, I think the, the, your perspective on the incident itself and your perspective on everything that goes into that probably pay, played a major factor in that why you didn't backslide. Um, and I think, I don't know, I'm kind of speaking out of turn here, but I would think that, would you say that knowing how far you had come had made that an easier thing for you not to go back? Like, you know, were, were you at all, te- I don't even want to say tempted, but like you you obviously had a, had a uh, an um, a moment. I was like two years into my sobriety then. Right, so yeah. right. And you, you know, you, speaking of it now or saying like, Hey, that could have been an issue, but obviously it wasn't. So, you know, was it because of those two years that you were like, I can't go back on this now? Is that kind of what kept you on the straight and narrow or? Yeah. I mean, a huge part of it is my, you know, I don't even want to, I can't even put it on me. It was my support network, man. It was the guys checking in guys from work, guys from reps coming to the funeral, coming to the wake, um, reaching out, and helping me get present and the the thoughts i think it's natural for to come in and say could i have done better i remember he called me a little before easter and i didn't pick up because i knew he's probably drunk and babbling right um and i knew that he slipped off again and you know he would call and say all these things and you know should uh, you know the thought goes should i have picked up that day you know should i have stopped back and i was going there a lot right should i have gone over there again right like and i said i can't do that to myself because it's not fair to me and the disease got to him he was diagnosed with bipolar and drinking Mm -hmm. and that's it you know that's what happened and that's how real this is um this is what this mental illness does um and so many times we don't attribute substance abuse with mental illness. And I think that's a problem. And there's other factors that go into it too, right? If you have an eating disorder or something like that, like all those things go into mental illness. And I spoke to someone, I didn't know this person uh, was recovering from an eating disorder. Um, but we were talking about celebrities that have lost their lives to suicide. And like, cause you see those viral posts, it's a big like collage. It's got like, you know, Chris Farley and Mac, uh, Mac Miller and all these other ones. Mac Miller, Avicii, yeah. Robin Williams. So like yeah. you look at all them and you know, I, I was saying to them this one point, I was like, you know, I don't understand this is this is before I really understood things, but I was like, I don't understand why, let's say Amy Winehouse. I don't understand why she is on there. She died of an overdose. She's not. She wasn't. She didn't have a mental illness. And they were like, no, definitely that. Like her addiction was a mental illness. Like that's where it's it's way more than that. So I really like that you had said that. You know it, that played that factor with him. So you're, you know, telling the story. You've got. Um, got that chance to go work with Aaron, which just in my mind alone, I'm like, man, that that's, that's a dream gig right there, right? Go work with Aaron Loman and, and have him, you know, jam out to some Taylor Swift or whatever, which by the way, I, I really hope he's still listening to this point. If he's going to give you shit, <laughs> if he's going to give you he's shit for uh, Star Wars, right? Then he needs to chill. Cause like we're giving him a pass on T Swizzy. So 
I'm kidding, of course. I'm kidding, exactly. of course. But um, okay, so you're doing that. What's what was the next step for you? Yeah, so I was in health and wellness, and me and he was my partner. Literally, we were doing um, peer support training together with other other uh, cops and detectives, speaking at the academy. I mean, dude, I was bringing cops in and recovery coaching them and helping them. I mean, I, I helped uh, get a few guys into rehab to fight the job to say, well, it's too far. Well. You didn't give them an option. This is a this is this is a rehab specifically for first responders. Uh, got them in. You know, one of the guys they wanted to get rid of. Um, he came out. He was was sober. Uh, he saved his job, and uh, he just got promoted to a, a higher rank. So that's that's a great feeling in itself. Um, so um, November comes along, and I go back at the call. You're going to go shoot to go back full duty. Holy shit, man. Four years. Four years of waiting. So the original plan was, since I was restricted, it was going to be easier to keep me in health and wellness. So this is great. You know, I came back to the job, to everybody who said, you're going to ruin your career. I'm I'm now a cop getting paid to help other cops get sober and work out and nutrition and hopefully better their lifestyle and, and promote this. This is great. And in August, like I said, I took the started exam and passed that. So I said, all right. And... November came around. I went full duty. Two weeks go by. December, a message comes down on the computer, going back to the forty-second precinct. Just like that, man, in the blink of an eye. Four years, no train. You know, think about it, right? You haven't. Now the whole job has changed. There's mm-hmm. so much new paperwork. Yeah. The police work doesn't change, um, but the paperwork. Let me take that back. The way you talk to people and approach jobs don't change. But yeah, the police work has changed since I've been there. Sure, yeah. A lot of things that guys were doing in regards to stopping people, and, and a lot of it is done. The laws have changed, you know. Um, a lot of things have changed. So December, I go back out there, man, and just thrown in there and learn the job again. And it, it picked up quick. Uh, it was good. I, I have a partner now, Mikey. Shout out. Uh, I'm working day tours. But I'm back on the road, man. I'm back in the street. And... I remember when I went back full duty, the psychological section was saying, if we had a poster board for recovery and for you, you would be all over it, blah, blah, blah. The head doctor is going to reach out to you and, and kind of wants to, he said it, wants to apologize for your case and how much of a good job you, you've done. And I'm still waiting for that call. Yeah. And that's the annoyance there, man. Sure. It's like, we... Are we people? Are we patients? Or are we just a fucking member? Mm-hmm. And that's like the most frustrating part there. So I'm still waiting for that call, by the way. If they, they hear it, um, I would just like to be acknowledged, uh, acknowledged, and not even myself, but other cops that go through this and get better should all be acknowledged. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. So back out there, uh, health and wellness is attempting to get me back. I don't even know. It's been six months already. So in my mind, I'm, I'm there and waiting to get promoted. Um, and Friday, there's going to be no details, but three days ago, man, uh, was involved in my first ever police involved shooting, mm. you know, right, right, right there chasing someone and, uh, the cop I was with, you know, unfortunately, uh, someone came, someone came at us with a weapon and that was that. So now, um, able to go through that able to have all of these tools on my tool belt for that situation that you never think is going to happen to you now able to be there for other cops that says hey you know you talk about all this you drank like what have you been through well 
I've worked two years on the street, went to another department, worked a year on the street, went through this shit, went back on the street within five months to get into a, a, a police shooting. Like, whatever you want to say, but I hope that you reach out to me and put a little trust in me. And the guys and girls that do reach out to reps, 80% of them probably get better. Because the other 20%, just a willingness, they just don't want to change. Right. You know? Yeah. But it, it's a good statistic to have. And even if one person reaches out and they get better, we talk about it, Charlie. It trickles down. People see a change in them. They say, hey, how'd you lose 20 pounds? Wow, you haven't drank in six months. How'd you do it? It trickles down not only on the job, but the family and friends. Absolutely. So I just wanted to put that out there to everyone. Please be safe. Um, and don't wait for to gain the, 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 the words overused, right? Resiliency. Don't wait to do resiliency classes or peer support classes or trauma classes once shit happens to you. Prepare yourself for that day because it's not going to be a matter of, of if. It's going to be a matter of when. And it could be... You can never be in – you don't have to be in the shooting. It could be the most simplest – it could – something could happen outside of work. Yeah. But all the trauma that we – and that overused word again. But all the life experiences that we've had and we don't do anything with them and, and, and um, with uh, – God, give me some – Carl Young. God, I almost said Carl Marx. Carl, <laughs> wrong, Carl, wrong Carl. Carl. Wrong Carl. Yeah. Wrong Carl. Carl, Carl, Carl man, Young, Man, you should right? say Carl Great. Winslow or something, man. Uh, <laughs> Carl, Carl, Carl Young talks about the shadow bag, right? We're not going to get into that. Everyone should look into that because if we start putting all these events in our shadow bag and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, there's never running from the shadow, man. Correct. Light is shadow. But there's never running from it. It's, yeah. all, it's right behind me right now. So it's what we do with our shadow and, and how we accept our shadow. Say it's a part of us. And going back to Star Wars, Dark Side of the Force – that's why I have my dark side sleeve and I'm going to get my light side sleeve nice, because there's nice. a dark and light side inside of all of us. It's just knowing um, what part is out in that present moment. Yeah. So I just wanted to mention that, man. Yeah, so thank no, you. No, that's that's um, the, the shadow, you know, uh, Carl Jung's shadow theory just in general. That's been a big part of mine. I've talked about it before on the show, but there's a Netflix documentary with Jonah Hill about his mm. personal uh, psychiatrist stuts and he talks about the shadow yeah, life force yeah yeah um, everyone should watch that it's a really really good one so that that uh that plug aside uh, i did want to talk about you know I, I talked to you for a few minutes and now my 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 w start showing in my words i said talk coffee anyway no but what i wanted to talk about was the importance of getting i'm gonna say it brashly but i mean it in sure. a very compassionate way the importance of getting your shit together ahead of time you know, like when you're saying like you were involved in the incident and again, it doesn't have to be a shooting, but that's probably the worst case scenario. Imagine if you hadn't had your shit together. Imagine if you were still drinking. Imagine if you were still either under or overweight. Imagine all these things. You would have been in a in a much different predicament, you know, and, and being able to process the stress and the issues that come along with it. And, you know, I think about. Um, so my, my father passed away several years ago at this point, but he, um, he was, he was a very sick man and he got to a point where he would get infections, um, either UTIs or things like that. And the, you know, it was like, well, is his body strong enough to fight these infections? And it got to a point where he, he just didn't, you know, he was too, too old, too frail, too ill, and he just couldn't. I think about that in the terms of like healthy individuals, right? Or would be healthy individuals. Like think of anyone that's probably listening to this. If your illness, your infection is some kind of mental distress, whether it's actual stress, um, job stress, work stress, um, 
family stress, whatever, if you're not well enough to fight that infection, what's going to happen? Eventually, you're going to lose that battle. And that's why things like having people to talk to, taking care of your body, eating right, um, those are probably the three most important ones. Having a support group, that's why it's so important. And that's why I push this resiliency. That's why I push this peer support. Because when shit hits the fan, that's not when you want to go finding your life best. That's not when you want to start you know, reaching for help. You want to have that in hand yes. already. So that way when things do go bad, you're like, hey, I know what I'm doing here. I got this. And the analogy I always use is, is a, a pool, you know. And I think about being, on a, being a kid in the summer and getting pushed into a pool, right? That's mental distress, right? You are – you're – on a normal day, on a, on a perfectly fine day, you're the one chilling on the pool deck. Everything's fine. Something's going to come out of nowhere and push you into that pool. You're going to be in that water, and now you're thrashing. Now, whether you you know, doggy paddle over to the stairs and get out, great. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes that pool feels so big you can't get out, and you start sinking. And the thing is, if you already had a life vest on, then when you get pushed in the pool, you're good to go. You know what I mean? And that's... That's where groups like reps, and this is why I love reps. This is why reps should be nationwide. Um, that's you. why I support the things you guys do. And when I come across different organizations that do do the things you do, um, it's so important. And I, you know, I scream from the mountaintops and when you know and tell people like this is a good thing. This is important because it is. It will save your life to know that these things. You know, the the book that you you, you that I bought from you. You know, it's very, very brief. You know, like I, I, I buy, I buy books all the time, and they're they're these giant, you know, novels or tomes, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't get through this. But yours is is a quick read, and you it it tells you exactly what you need to know, like the good, the bad, the ugly. This is how you're getting through it, and all these things are so important to the whole wellness goal because no one wants to fall off, right? No one wants to be that guy in the pool that just can't get out. Obviously, everyone wants to get out, and all the things that you provide and the reason you're providing it is because you have experienced it is so important for people on the job, whether, like you said, police, fire, dispatch, whatever it might be. So, um, you know, I really appreciate the things you're saying and, and, you know, not only saying it, it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to live it. And you've lived it the whole spectrum from the most critical to you know wellness and everything beyond that so i really just want to thank you for that and, and sharing it all as well oh thank you charlie i appreciate the uh the kind words and yeah man that book we made <laughs> it's funny you said that kind of dumb it down for everybody listening right because our attention spans are like yeah. a dog mm-hmm. what where, who where 56 pages i think right correct you can correct me if i'm wrong like but um it's a basic of what reps is Basic knowledge on fitness, nutrition, emotional intelligence, straight uh, mental mental uh, illnesses, straight straight from the DSM five, uh, putting in police terms, and just being aware of just saying, all right, now I know a little bit of this. Now it's up to me to dive deeper. Mm-hmm. And just because another silent killer, right? Cardiovascular health, metabolic health. Fifty percent of officers when they retire and within five years have a major cardiovascular issue. It's just because you have high blood pressure or type 2 diabetes, that medication does help. So I'm never saying don't take medication. Same things with SSRIs. It doesn't mean that you're stuck or trapped forever. You should want to fight and push to say, you know what? If I'm able to get off this medication by changing my behaviors and habits, I want to do that. And I can reverse the type 2 diabetes. I can reverse this high blood pressure. 
And sometimes it's too late. But a lot of the times we have a chance to reverse it. Or at least, I call it Serbius, the three-headed dog uh, uh, guarding Hades' gates, right? Mm -hmm. My Serbius every day, dude, he's down there. He's waiting for me, okay? I I I wake up every morning. He's chained down in the basement, in the cellar. The middle dog is my alcohol. The left head is anxiety. The right head is depression. If the right head gets out, a little depression for the day, okay. The left gets out, okay, a little anxiety for the day. If they both get out, going to be in trouble. If that middle head gets out, I know the both the, the left and the right get out because anxiety and depression is coming my way. Mm-hmm. And then there's no stopping the yeah, drinking. Yeah. Um, and so, you, yeah. You know, what, what you were saying about, you know, cardiovascular, obviously that's a big deal. Heart attacks um, for, for first responders is just ridiculous. So why not put yourself in the winning column or chance to win by taking care of yourself, of course. But also, the uh, you put me on him uh, was Dr. Chris Palmer. And talking about how Huge. your your wellness and nutrition impact your brain. And I was in a, uh, a lunch and learn at work, right? Like just a little thing, a free seminar my work put on. And this lady was talking about suicide prevention. And she was like, did you know, and this blew my mind, that like suicidal individuals, their vitamins in their brain are off. Like, like there's literally a metabolic and nutritional deficiency when that happens. And, and like that, you know, the whole thing was an hour, but that one sentence, I was like, holy shit, makes a ton of sense. But she goes on to say that, like, typically if, if uh, someone is experiencing a suicidal episode, their B12 is going to be low and a couple other of their other vitamins. So another reason why it's important to eat correctly. And Huge. there's there's things that are true facts in this world, right? Like death and taxes, right? They're coming to everybody. But also <laughs> all first responders are... Um, sleep sleep deprived, malnourished, and dehydrated. Like those things are coming, right? It's happening, and I, I say all, but most. Um, like if I could take any sample from any police department anywhere in the United States, I guarantee you the majority are going to be those three things, and that's what needs to be fixed. You need to sleep better, you need to eat better, you need to drink more water. And I know, I know that I am one of those problems. I know I am, and um, so you know the fact that you you have kind of simplified it for people is amazing because yes, we do have short extension fans and I, it, it's hard for me to go through, like you said, 15 pages in an hour. Like that's, you know, that's like on the low end for me and another <laughs> book shout out. Cause I hope he's still listening, but we've got Aaron's right here and Aaron's book is nice in big letters and he simplifies it as well. Because again, like my, my dumb cop brain can't process all that at one time. All these things saying is they're all amazing tools to help you on the path to being better and being the best person you can be. And the last thing I want to talk about with that is the importance of having your tribe in your corner. Um, You know, you said it, you know, if it wasn't for the people around you, you wouldn't have gotten through some of the hardest things in your life. And, you know, it's so important. I'm, I'm not a religious fella. But I am very kind of spiritual and philosophical in ways. So, but to say that, whether therapy is for you or not, I believe it is for everybody. But some people may say otherwise. As long as you have someone that you can trust and confide in, that's therapy. What we're doing right now is therapy. Talking to someone that you can trust and talk to. Um, But having a chaplain, having a priest, having a doctor, having a significant other. And, you know, 
cops, especially earlier in their career, they're quick to jump on the badge bunnies and the cocktail waitresses and the nurses and whatever. But once you're in the <laughs> shit, right? Once you're in the shit, you realize, oh, I need someone with substance in my corner. I can't, you know, get that flash in the pan. And that's the important part. And utilizing those things too, right? Your family, because I, I had this conversation yesterday with my girlfriend and, you know, I'm broad from the old school mentality. My dad was born in the 40s, right? He was a police officer. I never saw him. He got sick when I was 14, but up until that point, I never saw him break down, cry, say that he was scared, say that he was nervous, none of those things, right? What did he do? He went to the bar, hung out with his buddies, drank, and I don't know what he did there, right? But in my upbringing... My, my perception is men don't show weakness. We don't. And if we do, well, assuming if we do, it's not to our family. We don't go to our wives. We don't go to our kids. We don't go to anyone and, and tell them we're having a problem. But the truth of the matter is those are the ones you need to rely on. Um, to me, right, uh, you know, it's something I'm working on is like I'm not going to burden my family because, like I said, my dad was sick young. So me being the, the male of the family, I had to step up. So I had to be strong for my family. I couldn't break down. But that's what your buddies are... To me, that's what your buddies are for. That's what your friends are for, your coworkers, whatever. But the truth is, that's what your family is really there for. Yeah, they've got stuff going on too. But you you need to rely on your significant others, your brothers, sisters, whoever it may be, as well as your coworkers and buddies. And, you know, it's great that in your story as well, you kind of painted that picture as well that you know your girlfriend now wife um was there for you as well and you know nothing but the utmost respect to her as well for going and coming back and realizing that like hey it's for real this time and helping you through that i you know i just my hats off to all of it and obviously the people that you've uh, assembled for reps all great you know the ones that i've talked to you know we're talking uh jason and and uh nick and and you and Aaron and you know I'm sure there's more that I, I haven't even met yet but they're all in it for the right reason it's an amazing basket that you weave and that's when I think of a support group I don't think of a safety net I think a safety net has too many holes and gaps in it but if you weave a basket together that weave is so much tighter and I think that's what you've assembled and I think that's what we all need to assemble when we're talking about a support group no oh, perfectly said yeah I was uh you may have thought I was sleeping I was closing my eyes but I was soaking it all in man I was embracing all oh. everything everything that you were saying um yeah I mean you, you can't do this job alone everything you just said spot on I, I, you just got to get down and dirty like you call an 80 you call for help out there what is the difference between calling help out there and calling help here I, I really don't know. I mean, the answer is guys think because they're going to be weak, but I don't want you out there. I'm not, and this might sound like messed up, but if you're drinking every day or you just drank 15 drinks the night before and you're not on your A game, if your mind's not right and you've been depressed for a while, your reaction time is going to slow down. You Correct. might, you might um, out have an outburst or an outlash at someone, and now you're making the job 10 times worse. Right, right. The, the the group, the tribe, I love how you used council, community, friends, the fellowship, whatever you want to call it. It's changed my life tremendously. It, it, it saved my life. Um, it made me realize, too, that it's okay to be alone for a little bit, right, and enjoy your alone time with you because now you're happy on who you are as an individual. 
I look at some of the guys and girls and I'm like, damn, like my mantra is I, I refuse to be a statistic to this job mm-hmm. and to alcohol. Yeah. That's what I say every single day. And I could just tell by guys and girls, someone just brought it up at work. I remember I worked with a guy and he's like, yeah, I remember the first time we worked together. This is when I came back in December. He says, you brought up like, I could just tell someone's wellness by the food that they eat every single day and what's going on in their mind. And he's like, yeah, I'm here eating a cheeseburger. You know, it's funny, but it's so true. And I'm so happy you brought up the nutrition because I'm not a zealot of don't eat no carbs. Don't only do carnivore. Don't do plant-based. Do what works for you. Mm -hmm. Whatever the way you can get the best amount of nutrients in for you, do it. If it works for you, do it. But a lot of people have no idea about how the foods we are eating are literally not obviously gaining weight or losing weight, but affecting our control center. Right. What's going on up here? And if you go to a rehab, if you go to a hospital, what are they giving out, man? Pure carbs and sugars and terrible foods, cheap stuff. Um, a lot of alcoholics, when they get sober, what do they go for? They go for the ice cream. They go for the donuts. They go for the sugary food. Why? Because you're craving the dopamine. Alcohol has sugar in it. It makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. But once you're aware of it, you could say, holy shit, this is why... I'm always craving X, Y, and Z. Right. Okay, and it makes sense. Subbing, so now... You're subbing one addictive substance to another. Absolutely. Um, and yes, food addiction is real. Oh, It absolutely. is real 100%. Um, so just always be mindful. And the way... And you said something before. I'm trying to... You're talking about like bring, don't wait until things happen. Mm-hmm. By working on your, your... That person in you is, is always... It's there, ready to come out. Like the way you feel now and you're like, oh, I feel like shit, this is me. No, it's not you. You can always get better. Always. But remember, the yin and the yang, we can always get worse. Correct. Absolutely. And just to kind of encapsulate everything we've talked about, um, if you guys haven't watched it, it's very poignant. It's uh, There's a video on YouTube from Joe Rogan, Be the Hero of Your Own Movie, that kind of really goes with everything we've spoken about and you really need to make yourself the priority um and i've talked about it previously like if you're not taking care of yourself then you're not going to be able to take care of other people it's the whole airplane thing when the when the airplane's going down the the uh, oxygen mask go you have to put yours on before you can help others because if you can't breathe then what's the point and that that transcends for everything any opportunity any situation any scenario that's where it goes and i think you know what we're really driving home today through your story Frank is that you have to do that you have to take care of yourself and you have to do it for you you have to realize that when you do it you're doing it for you and I know that there are people out there because I know because they confide in me and I appreciate that they do um, struggle with putting themselves first with um, taking care of themselves with you know and I'm I'm no I don't speak from a pedestal you know I speak from being in the shit with you guys and, and and fighting through the same things that I talk about. And like I said, this these conversations, this is therapy. This is ways for me to kind of realign my center and be like, hey, this is what we need to work on here, you know, talking about me. And a lot of times when I get on and I start pontificating, <laughs> that's, a, yeah. that's a $5 word for you. Uh, um, yeah. It's really me talking to myself. And so, you know, all these different tools – and I really like how you laid out your story because they're literally – it's one thing to be like, hey, man, you got to eat right. You got to exercise. You got to do this. You can't drink. But you're explaining it from personal experience. 
And that's where it drives home. You're not just trying to, quote unquote, sell me on something. You are experiencing it. And this is literally what worked for you. And, you know, I, I see you and, and what you post and what you do. And it's it's inspiring. And, and everything you reps guys do is inspiring. And it, it, the the worst part about reps is that it's only in the Northeast. But the but the beautiful thing about social media is it's worldwide at this point. And that's obviously how we got linked up. And, um you know, so I just I want to thank you again for your story, and and being that kind of that lighthouse type figure where we can be like, hey, he did it, and and I can easily do it as well. But just to follow up on that easy statement, it's not easy. It is it is not an overnight fix. It, you know, you, you've been saying you've tough, been fighting man. this this battle for years now, and that's the important thing to keep in mind is that you need to put in the work. You need to be okay with, and I think of like. If you look at any kind of linear graph, you, you know, you got a line graph going on. It's never a straight line straight to the top or straight to the bottom, whatever it is. There's always ups and downs. There's peaks and valleys. And you need to realize that that's okay, too. Some days are going to be better than others. Some days are going to be significantly worse than others. Like you said, some days one dog head comes out, some days two. But you do everything you can in your power to make sure all three don't come out, especially the big one in the middle. So... Those are all things that I think when we talk about personal growth and self-development and empowerment, um, realize that it takes a long time. It's going to be hard work, but it's going to be extremely worth it in the end. Amen. I appreciate that. Um, the rep team appreciates all the kind words and, and thank you for you know supporting us and thank you for all the work that you do, you know, and you started really pushing this, this mental health movement on your page of just being a mean page to... Um, being both now and I, and I think that's huge uh, because it, it we need to get away from this job of laughs and stuff like that right but also at the same time it's there's a I think there's a time for everybody to to realize like hey you know maybe that meme is me maybe I need to change and what you're talking about that I'll, I'll throw a little a switch in and the last uh, Star Wars pun here is talking about we have to be a savior the, the the martyr for everybody mm-hmm. and we come mm-hmm. last and I believe that's a learned behavior from someone that we looked up to it could be in our family it could be childhood or it could be I'm not good enough syndrome yes, so yes. you know Yoda Yoda one of Yoda's quotes is and it just popped in my head is you must unlearn what you have learned mm-hmm. and very very powerful stuff there when you think about that and um, kind of just it's destroying the ego man and rebuilding and the ego is a, a new ego is going to be built but it's knowing okay, who's in control now? Is it Frank? Is it my ego? Is it something that I created? Uh, you know, it, it's knowing, and it comes back to being in the present moment, looking down at your feet, grounding yourself, huge grounding technique we use at reps. Today's April 24th, 2023, 1746 hours. I've never lived April 24th before 2023. Have you, Charlie? Right, Unless we're back to the future, yeah. Marty McFly. So every single day is, obviously it's a blessing, learning experience but it's a new adventure man like the thing i talked about friday that's three days ago and i can only hope that if something ever happens from it i have my tribe to go to my council i can always reach out to you i know that you'll pick up the phone in a second and that's what it's all about is building a great resilient team and a force um and literally a life force to prepare yourself i always say the working out i'm really not doing it for the physical attribute anymore i'm doing it to prepare myself for that life or death situation 
for that trauma response. We had a guest speaker on Responder Talk. He got shot in the head, dude, by a sniper. And the doctors told him the only reason why he lived, and very rare, is because of how much phenomenal physical shape he was in. And that was like, a lot of people on the screen were like, huh, you know? And then not saying someone who doesn't do any type of fitness or physical shape is might may have the same outcome, but a stronger body is a stronger mind. Mm-hmm. A stronger mind is a stronger body. There's no ever disconnecting the body and the mind. And we have the brain, but if we ask a simple question, where is the mind? I couldn't give you that answer. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, just we're going to be wrapping up in just a minute here. But um, yeah. my my goal with my page, right? I Humor is so important to me. It's always been, you know, just it's been my coping mechanism. It's been a trauma response. Like when things go bad, I'm going to make a joke. So that's always <laughs> important. That's not going anywhere, right? But now it's come to the point where it's like, all right, I'm going to make you laugh. But get ready because, you know, that's the jab. The right hook coming is going to be the realness. It's going to be the mental health side of it. And whether whether it's going to be talking about mental health directly or just positive um, things we can do to better our mental health or better our wellness, you know, that's really what I go for. So I appreciate you uh, mentioning that as well. It's just – and again, it's if I can be a landing plate, a landing spot for someone who's going through a hard time, I am willing to be that – and uh, again, my, my girlfriend made a, a great analogy yesterday. She said, you know, we're all carrying something, but it's a lot mm-hmm. easier to carry it with some people around you. So it's um, that's what I that's what I aim to be. I aim to be someone that can, you know, carry the load with you so that way we can get through it. And when we are brothers and sisters in law enforcement, that's that's what we need to do. So, uh, you know, that's what reps is here for. That's what 10 is here for. And there's many others. And um, so. Uh, big ups to you. Big ups to everybody doing what you do. It's it's just so important. Um, I do have some listener. Well, I have. I put up for listener questions. I didn't get really any, but our good friend. We talked about him a bunch. Aaron uh, left a couple for you. So. Uh, oh God! Here we go. <laughs> so here we here we go. Uh, he asked who your favorite sergeant was. <laughs> oh, this fucking guy! Come on. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yep. Um, well. You know, technically, he's not my sergeant anymore. So he, he, did say, he did say he did say was that. he did say was. But yeah, okay, you got there. Yeah. Oh God. Oh, I'll I'll have to throw him up there. You know, I'm probably if the other sergeants are listening, they're probably going to uh, come after uh-huh. me. But uh, yeah, the relationship that we created, we knew who we, we knew each other before, obviously. Uh, but the bond that we created of talking about our own personal lives and able to sit down and have talk about how to help other cops but also man it was one of those relationships where you know what it wasn't all and he'll probably be laughing like oh everything a great day like we have conversations where we disagree on shit like and call each other out uh mainly he'll call me out but <laughs> we're able to talk through it and say okay i see your perspective there and i think that's huge I from a leadership position uh-huh. yeah good yeah that's huge from a leadership uh position and able to listen and understand like why you made this decision or why you think this way or why you believe that um, because it didn't just happen within that day like oh yeah you know what I'm going to believe this this and that like no you're taking an experience that you had you're internalizing it and you're making a, a self-belief going back to uh, Obi-Wan talking about your self-belief and your thoughts and you're making a decision on that on your, I don't know, morals maybe, on your life experiences. That's where I think a lot of this comes from. 
Yes. And how important is it talking about personal relationships, whether it's supervisory, friendship, whatever, how important is that to have, listen, you can, I I can talk to myself and think I have the best ideas in the room, right? How important is it to have someone challenge you on your things, have disagreements, have that like meeting of the mind where we throw ideas back and forth and we really whittle it down to what the good idea is. Like, you know, I got to tell you some of the stuff that I've come up with, if I just went with it, Never, never a good idea. But by talking ideas out and having them whittle down to something that is actually uh, malleable and good, that comes from disagreement. That comes from debate. That comes from, you know, and I think so when you said that about like, hey, we didn't always have like, you know, hunky dory, happy conversations. I think that's huge. Or as he would say, that's huge. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's what a leadership position is. It's not like always I'm right, you're wrong. And that's what's going to get a cop uh, pissed off at you. That's what's going to get a cop angry. That's what might get a cop sometimes internalizing it too much um, and acting out on the street or not being in the present moment, right? I think as a leader, uh, you have the right to, you should be doing is getting to know your cops on a first name basis and also checking in on them once, twice a month, bringing them in after roll call, just partners and be like, yo, what's going on? Everything good? Anything you want to talk about? You know, and again, you have to be careful as a supervisor uh, position. But again, if you really care as a supervisor, clock ends. You're just a person and a person. Ultimately, we're human to human. But when the clock ends, the shield's off, and you could be there for your cops. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, yeah. I, oh, there's there's more, huh? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, he's got more. Oh he's got shit. More. Uh, the next one. Uh, I just want to touch on that one last bit. Um, I think it's, it's it's very important to um, be there for your people. And you did say something earlier in our conversation about, like, it's more than just saying you good. And I think when you check on people, I think that's really important. Because if, if I said, hey, hey, you good? You know, yeah, I'm fine. But it's so much more than that. And, you know, true care, true peer support gets it. But I think we need to work on that a little bit better. The next thing he said is to ask you about Diet Coke and Burger Village. <laughs> All right, so DC, uh, running joke, I drink my Diet Cokes. I'll drink them, uh, go out to a restaurant, I'll have them. They're not chilling in my house, uh, but DC guy, big thing is a lot of, there's a lot of just nonsense on social media. Diet Coke causes cancer and stay away from it and all this stuff. And the studies show that no Diet Coke does not cause cancer. But Aaron will know about my gut. I'm a firm believer that it will mess with your stomach and, and acid and things like that. So I have to be careful. Um, and Burger Village is a spot that we used to uh, eat lunch at. And uh, it's a good spot. Okay. BV, Burger Village. Nice. Um, a lot of Diet Cokes. <laughs> I um, I worked with a nutritionist for a few years. And he said, like, hey, have, have Diet Cokes. And I would only drink them on my quote-unquote cheat day. And he's like, no, you can drink them daily. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what about all the aspartame and, like, the can't? He goes, no. He's like, yeah. you would have to drink a liter or, like, a two-liter bottle of Diet Coke hourly to get the amount of aspartame that would cause cancer, whatever. He's like, it's it's so tiny that it's not even a, a true thing. So Yeah, 100%. And, and, but just to be aware about Diet Coke, it's about 75 milligrams of caffeine, right? And we have to be aware. Cops love caffeine. Um and after about like 300 milligrams is like the sweet spot for first responders of anything over that, it could be a really big negative side effect for you. So you saw I had my cold brew right before this. Um, it's just to be mindful, be aware, and it's a stimulant. You, of course, you can you 100% can get addicted to caffeine and the half-life of, of coffee um, 
could be about four to six hours. So if you have a reason why I can't fall asleep, well, dude, you just had a coffee at six. You're trying to go to bed at 12 or like 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. You know, you can drink it earlier and stuff like that. Um, but just wanted to be that, that guy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, next thing Aaron asks. we got two more for him. Um, oh, man. He said, ask him why his lifting warm-up and stretching routine is an hour long. <laughs> yeah. I knew he was going to say that right away. He, dude, this guy, oh man, people <laughs> listening, they're probably what the hell. This is the kind of guy that just goes in there and starts lifting. And I'm like, I don't know how you do it. Like, there's, for me, I got to warm the body up. I, I was powerlifting for a while. I beat this little body up, man, for a while. So it takes me like 20 to 30 minutes. I, I have, I have my, uh, my working stretches, I have my band work, um, some injuries in the past. So for me, I have to do it. So by the time I start my set, he's like halfway through. Uh, so that that's just me. Okay, okay. And the last thing he said is that he misses you. Oh wow! <laughs> that's yeah. So that's that's some I miss that guy too. Yeah, that's some that's some sugary sweet stuff from Aaron Loma. You don't usually get that. He's usually very. Uh, that's not true. But uh, and then the last one, one of my uh, one of my former sergeants said, "Am I insane?" Um, so I don't, I don't know. I'm going to say she's not, but yeah, that's what, that's what she said. Am I insane? So, (laughs) um, but Frank, this is our, this is it. Um, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate our conversation. I appreciate your insight. Um, if people want to get in contact with you or reps and, you know, kind of see either if they're not a part of it, how to get a part of it or see what you guys are about. How do they get in contact with you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So, uh, we have Facebook and Instagram, but a lot more active on Instagram. Um, that's where we get most of, uh, what would you say, our con- contact or flow. Uh, reps, reps underscore four underscore responders on Instagram. I run that. My wife runs it. Send a DM if you have any questions. Repsforresponders at gmail.com. Always check the email. Um, if you were interested in joining the responder talk, you just have to reach out. And everyone that comes has to send a picture of their ID card. They can blank out their last name just to prove that you're active retired because uh, we take confidentiality very seriously. Um, and again, Facebook, Reps for Responders. We have RepsForResponders.org. Uh, and my address to my house is not. <laughs> yeah. And social and credit card information. Um, right. All right, man. I appreciate it. Um, everyone, go check out Reps. I'm a huge believer in what they do. And um, I, think, uh, I think that's all I got for now, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Wayne, what's important now? Be safe. <laughs> All right. Everyone, listen, stay tuned. We'll be right back to wrap this up. guys frank is an amazing guy uh if i could throw in some analytics and just me analyzing it a little bit i think he's shown amazing growth through his past several years it's inspiring to say the least um just listening to him speak and hearing about his transformation makes me realize that nobody is broken to the point of can't be fixed Uh, it goes to my words hurt people help people whatever you're dealing with whether it's substance addiction depression anxiety losing a loved one uh, infidelity whatever it may be you can overcome this pain 
Even if it's self-inflicted, even if you've done something to wrong somebody else, you can overcome this. Even if you're not the victim of anything else but yourself and your own behavior, you don't have to be this person for the rest of your life. You can build and you can become something amazing. You can be what you actually want. And guess what? This may be the most exciting news of all. You don't have to do it alone. As a matter of fact, you should have a crew. Every, everybody's got a crew of allies, right? Tony Soprano, he's got his whole mob family. Luke Skywalker, he's got all the Jedi and the entire resistance behind him. Batman has his butler. But in, in, the, in the comic books and everything, Batman has a whole slew of people that help him. There's the Avengers, like whatever you want. Rocky has, has Paulie and he has Adrian and he has Mickey. Like he's got his crew. You can have your crew, a trusty crew that can help you through whatever you need. No man or woman is an island. Whoever said that they are, whoever said they never needed help from nobody, is full of shit. And sometimes your crew is just one person. One motherfucker that will stand next to you through thick and thin and be the rock for you. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable around these people. Now listen to me. I know what it is to not trust. I remember last year hugging a man that I grew close to through all my shit, losing best friends through being murdered and, and suicide and all that and moving across the fucking state. And, and I held this, I, I remember hugging this person, telling him that I loved him. And then a few weeks later, he got arrested for some of the most heinous, heinous shit that I could ever imagine. I remember trusting people, telling them some of the most vulnerable shit that I would ever tell anybody. And now we don't speak. Now that anytime this person mentions me is something negative. Now I'm always like, oh shit, is he going to, it's going to air my dirty laundry out to people. I know what it's like. I remember falling in love with someone and telling them at the time, the saddest news of my life that my mother was dying and they responded with, well, that sucks. She pays for a lot of your shit. I know it is to feel pain and betrayal. I also grew up in an old school household where my dad never confided to my mother. He was strong or, or, you know, he held everything in to himself and he worked himself sick. And even though I know better, I know that what he did was not the healthy way. I know that, you know, not everybody's going to turn around. I still bottle things up to myself and I work myself ragged. My point of all this is you need to be able to trust. You need to be able to be vulnerable. I know that people have had even more terrible stories than what I just said. I know that the reason that people don't trust people and I know the reason that people are not vulnerable is because some of the most heinous things ever done to humans was done to them. What I'm saying is you have to break that cycle. Because by not being vulnerable to the people that love you, you're only going to hurt them more. If they're going to be your rock, your ride or die, you need to let them. And if you decide that, you know, you don't have somebody, uh, you aren't comfortable opening up to your family or your coworkers or your best friend or whatever, for whatever reason, there is peer support out there. There's people that there's strangers out there that you don't know that are a phone call away from being at the very minimum, a listening ear, but could be so much more. If you don't, feel comfortable going to your people. I've, I've got a resource for you and I want to share it with you today. Today, I want to tell you about Blue Line Support. Blue Line Support is a peer support officer program combined with a network of mental health professionals to provide intervention, 
prevention, resiliency, training, and self-care services for law enforcement officers, regardless of their status, wounded, active, or retired, regardless of rank, and regardless of agency. Access to Blue Line support is through a 24-hour hotline, I'll give the number in just a second, which connects the calling officer with a trained peer support officer. The peer support officer will explore the officer's issues to determine the appropriateness of a referral to one of their in-network professionals. Many times, simply seeking or speaking to a peer support officer gives the officer the necessary perspective and relief needed to address the issues without the need for a referral. The phone number for them, you're going to want to take this down, is 855-964-2583. It's 24 hours a day. 855-964-2583. I'll also include it in the show notes at the bottom of the episode. I took a class with this organization a few months ago, and it was pretty phenomenal. They're uh, on-staff clinician. I have his business card right next to me here. Uh, his name is Doc Sanfilippo. He's the clinical director. He was absolutely amazing. He's a uh, former vet, retired vet, um, injured, and just just phenomenal. I truly believe that they are doing things right. So if you want, you know, if you don't feel like you have someone that you can talk to, try them. And if you do, try them. Because sometimes we need a work perspective and and they have training for peer support officers. So, Uh, Also, if you need more, right, if that's not enough, if the people that you interact with on a daily basis isn't enough, I'm currently trying to piece together... um, what I can do to help you much like reps for responders with their responder talk and project refit does with their, uh, zoom meetings. I want to do uh, a 10, eight code four check where I can do uh, weekly zoom meetings for anyone who wants to be a part of it. Uh, I will, you know, try to verify agency ID to some extent. I don't know how I'm going to do that just yet, but I want the idea of sitting around and, and just like Frank talked about sitting around in a, in a building, talking to people sounds great but i know that first off my my reach is not just local i know that if you work for the county where i work or where i live and i'm always worried about things going back to my agency or things like that right because trust is one of the biggest parts of peer support but i want to offer that so that's my that's my goal uh in the coming months is to open 10 uh 10 8 code four checks uh to to the populace and maybe we can do that as well now, guys, everything I'm saying here, right, I'm getting I'm getting pretty heated about this because I'm not saying any of this from a place of perspe- per- perfection. If anything, I'm actually saying this as a place of personal experience. I'm speaking to myself more than I'm speaking to you. I'm telling myself things I need more than I think you need them. And honestly, it's hard for me to accept the things I need. And I, I know that if you're listening and feeling the same way, it's hard for you to accept the things I'm saying. We can be better than the shit we've experienced. All we have to do is trust. And I know that's hard. And I know trust is the most important thing. That's why we are who we are. The The reason you are a good police officer, a good dispatcher, a good firefighter, is because the people that you work with can trust that you're going to do your job well. All we have to do is trust. And we can get better. There's a, there's a song quote, I've said it before, Frank Turner, the song is Recovery. And he says, broken people can get better if they really want to. Hurt people help people. Break the cycle. 
That's our show for today, guys. Uh, you can check us out next week. We have The Science of Sleep with my good friend, Dr. Elizabeth Dellery. Go follow Reps for Responders on Instagram. I will be giving a talk on their responder talk on May 14th, which is Mother's Day. So if you can spare a few moments, um, about an hour from your wife, mother, sister, significant other who is a mother, you don't want to miss it. Again, it's going to be, the title is Hurt People, Help People, and it's going to be more about what I just spoke about. Also, if you're in the tri-state area this weekend, you need to know about their tattoo event that's happening this Sunday on May 7th, 2023 at 12 p.m. to 7 p.m. at the House of Ink in Vernon, New York. Reps is going to be part of a tattoo fundraiser event to help their nonprofit. So go get a tattoo from a flash sheet as well as uh, Reps will be there offering services. There's going to be a 50-50, a DJ, some water, snacks, and more. It's an amazing event that I wish I could be there uh, to be a part of. I, I might be getting my own semicolon tattoo here soon just to show camaraderie with all that all that being said as always rate review subscribe get the show out there to the people that need to hear it and we will see you next time only a few more weeks until i go on an indefinite hiatus that's the plan for right now so you definitely want to stay tuned we got some big episodes coming up until next week take care of each other stay safe keep flying it's going to play us out 10-8 out <laughs>